This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Welcome listeners, again we have um, a Cindy Lilburn who's going to tell us in what capacity she is today, which hat she's wearing. <laughs> Today's hat, I'm the chairwoman of Historic Places Manawatu Horofenua, which is the voluntary society that has an interest in promoting and preserving our local building and archaeological and object heritage. All right, so we're going to be talking about there are many places in Palmerston North. Some are registered, which um, if it's registered, I think Leslie told us that there are certain things that you can and can't do with it. To change, You are not allowed to change it or how you can, the limits are, etc. So we're going to start, first of all, there's lots of um, historical buildings still standing in Palmerston North and one that's the best known is Keisha Birch. So can you tell us about this one, Cindy? It's been preserved as an example of a stately home with strong connections to some of the very earliest um, important people in this town. So it was built for a Jacob Nanestead. So Jacob Richter and Jantz Jensen, between the three of them from Norway and Sweden, oh, just thinking there, um, had the largest sawmilling enterprise in this town in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, uh, out in Albert Street area, roughly where Pioneer, um, roughly where the New World is, Melody's New World is. They employed a lot of Palmerstonians, uh, particularly their fellow Scandinavians, and Mr Nanestead used that um, to build himself a house beside what was then uh, one of the lagoons in this town um, up above the um, water level flooding level uh, and he employed I think LG West who was a fellow Dane to do the design and that's house so it uh, relates to our very first and significant settlers but it didn't stay his home for long uh, and it passed to a family called the Strangs, who renamed it Woodhay. Um, I don't actually have a um, know its Scandinavian name, but I'm given to understand that the porch front on it, that's directly above the main entrance, the sleeping porch, is a sort of Scandinavian feature. So the Strangs had it and, and used it as Woodhay, uh, but in 1907, Government House burnt down in Wellington, um, and so for a year, Lord Plunkett, um, was, who was the Governor-General, was searching for a home to go to and it was decided to lease out this property that the Strangs had for a year. The Strangs, meanwhile, took themselves to England to do their tour back home and quite possibly to deposit various sons at um, schools there. It was a standard practice if you had enough money to send your sons home for schooling. 
And Mr Plunkett, Lord Plunkett, took it over for a year. It had little sentry boxes put at the front gate so you could have guards protecting who came in. And he specified that he'd only take the house if he had a billiard room built at the back. Oh, right. <laughs> and so the pretty much the only addition since the Strangs was the billiard room, which is actually a very pleasant room with nice um, window seating overlooking the lagoon and the uh, the rose garden. Oh, right. So After he left, he left, it went to a family called the Keisha Birches, which is where it has Birch. the current oh, right. name. They were actually just Birches, but um, to inherit a significant sum of money from an uncle with no children, um, they modified their name <laughs> to take on his Italian side of the family. Oh, nefarious means. <laughs> <laughs> and they moved themselves from Martin, having lived up in Thai Happy area where they had blo- broken in a very rough um, a rough station. Uh, it's quite rough out there. Um, they had the Erewhon station, uh, and it's pretty much uphill and downhill and, and plenty of forest. So they moved from there, retired to Martin, then retired down to... Um, Keisha Birch to live in the city, so to speak, and and they um, and then when they died out, was it left to the city? Or so Lord Keisha Birch um, was a keeler, so that's the keeler family had a house called Artify up on the hills beside Massey, which you'd known now as the Hostel Ferguson Hall, and Artify Road is named after that property. So you can see she probably moved in to be close to. Her her family, family right. but after <laughs> Maud died about 1945, um, it was turned into a convalescent home for nurses. Uh, there was a, a massive sort of set of prefabs built on the back um, to put the nurses into, uh, and it served like that until the 60s when the University of Victoria was looking for an extension space for their classes. Um, they were te- uh, particularly for their uh, teachers' college um, courses, so they decided to run them up in Palmerston North, and they needed space. So they they took over the house to use it for that until they built the campus across the way, which we now call the Hokkafutu Campus, which has gradually been, shall we say, <laughs> weeded away <laughs> yes. as it's now been turned into a new um, housing, housing area. Yes, right. So. For a short stint, and then by the 1980s, it, it had become completely vacant. And it was quite problematical. I mean, it had um, vandals. It had um, piles that were sinking <laughs> <laughs> uh, and quite a lot of other maintenance work that needed to be done. Now, I come started work at the museum in 1982, what was then the Manawatu Museum, and we were offered it as the opportunity to be a pioneer village uh, that we could move historic buildings onto the back. Um, we went down to have a look, and we discovered a man who was busy chiselling out some of the um, the stained glass um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> windows. And he said, oh, he said, uh, mm, yes, I'm uh, the caretaker. <laughs> he had uh, wired the balustrade with 240 volts oh, <laughs> from the, the mains. And we had to contact the council who discovered that he was actually not an official caretaker, <laughs> but just someone living in. <laughs> so, uh, a squatter. <laughs> yes. So to 
to fund it, they they have sold the sections, some of the sections around it, but have kept the core of the house with um, some of its garden area, the grass lawns, and the wisteria walk still remains um, and the, uh, along what has now become Keisha Birch Lane. Um, and it is now as a result of a deed that was drawn up by the government, and it was a very close-run thing. Um, they had a celebration earlier this year to commemorate, I think, uh, it would have to have been 50 years wow. <laughs> since they took it over. Um, it was a close-run thing. Um, but it is, under the deed, it is to be available to the public of Palmerston North for their for their use. And so at this point, it's not entirely commercially, when I say commercially run, it's designed so that various... Uh, it can be hired for weddings and that sort of thing. As well as weddings, um, societies and, and many small groups are more than welcome to use the property. And its rates have been always kept um, kept at a very decent decent rate. And um, you do get the advantage of spending, if you do have to do a workshop or something, of that ilk for a day, you can spend it in some very pleasant surroundings <laughs> with um, lovely gardens to walk around when you need that time mm-hmm. to break out. Oh, that's great. There so, is one other aspect to that place, too, too I should point out. Um, they have a coach house, which is beside the... Um, the main building. Beside mm-hmm. the main building. It's the old stables block. Now, there is a display in there which talks about the history of the um, Keisha Birch property. And so that is kept open most days so that you can walk in. The gardens are actually publicly accessible. The house, as long as you don't disturb, I guess, whatever group is currently using it, you can at least um, step into the hall and see who's there. The other aspect, too, is that there is a little walkway that is below the house along the lagoon front now that's been put in. So if you go to the end of Keisha Birch Lane, which has the bridge that takes you across the lagoon, you can turn right and walk along, and there are two, um, shall we say, vantage spots, two sort of um, larger sort of um, viewpoints that you can stand on and, and have All a right. look up and down the lagoon, and then come out at the back end of the back end of the um, Keisha Birch property. So it would have been quite nice if they had races along the lagoon or something, canoe races They've or something. They've had these things yeah. in their time. Um, they've even had a festival of the lake there. Oh, well. Okay, so um, another home, but it's not accessible to the public now, is Kaingaho. Kaingaho is on Pioneer Highway between, I'm just thinking, between Botanical Road and Cardiff Street. Um, it's another large, not perhaps quite so stately, but still a reasonable-sized home, um, which was built in the 1910s for an Oscar Monrad. He is the grandson of um, the Bishop Detlev Monrad and his children who stayed. So Bishop Monrad is a really significant Danish connection that we have in this city. Bishop Monrad was the Prime Minister of Denmark in 1865 when Denmark was invaded by the Germans and lost um, its its southernmost end, what's called Schleswig-Holstein, mm. um, which became German territory for um, 
I'm just counting about 60 years. And because there was so much blame um, tossed at the government, Bishop Monrad decided it was time to perhaps to take his children to see if they could set themselves up in another part of the world um, and perhaps make a make a, a living for themselves with the opportunities that might be available in the new world. All right. So he travelled as far away from Denmark <laughs> as you could get. And, I mean, he could have taken America or Australia, but he travelled to New Zealand and he settled um, just south of Longburn at Kareri um, in the 1860s. And eventually some of his children did remain behind. And so while well, the bishop went back to Denmark, yep. to Denmark, but not before he left. Um, as an example of his commitment to this new land, he left behind his collection of um, fine art prints, which are now in the possession of Te Papa. And so this is his collection of Rembrandts and Dürer. All oh, of wow. these are well-known <laughs> names, of course, yes. um, in the art and uh, Renaissance um, art. So... Uh, it was a significant donation, but he also encouraged other fellow Danes to come out, and I think it was due to the connection and maybe Vogel coming across this that encouraged the Premier, which was the Prime Minister of the time, Premier Julia, Julius Vogel, to think about bringing Scandinavians out to clear the forest. Oh, right. Uh, and so that encouraged that. So anyway, his his grandson ended up here, and um, as a result of that, um, that's why we have Monrad Street and Monrad Intermediate um, in this city. Right, and I've been to Kaingaho. I was lucky enough when it was accessible, um, and the one thing that really uh, struck me was that you could open a window and just walk out onto the decking. Which <laughs> it has it's those very uh, <laughs> tall sash windows that you can take right up to yeah. about, um, you know, sort of bent over halfway height and then step out onto a, onto a balcony. It's also got a little turret in the corner. Um, and when it was under the care of two, the two Danish occupants, Bodil and Gunnar Peterson, they used to run up the Danish flag. Oh, right. Um, okay. The front, so it's quite a large section. So it's a 1910s house, so an Edwardian-style house with some large rooms and some uh, some nice wood panelling um, in the bedroom area. Um, but the front half of the section is quite a large section. is under Heritage Covenant with, his, with Heritage New Zealand, which means that uh, legally any new owner who purchases that Property is not allowed to subdivide the front. Right. Otherwise, it could have disappeared back and behind a row of motels. I so, guess it would have because it's quite a, a large it's a area, isn't it? Yes, it's potentially it's, commercially um, rateable. And, and right on that main highway too. It does mean that um, occasionally they do get a bit of brutalisation and they've just recently had a car smack into their picket fence, the oh, current dear. owners. Um, and it's still waiting to be repaired. But there are some lovely gardens in the front, and yes, it's currently not available. It has been run as a bed and breakfast and for a short stint as a commercial property, um, and it does have it does have a commercial kitchen. So hopefully at some point it might be possible to reopen it uh, for visiting groups. 
Right. So in um, opening it, not not a uh, a house, but a Hoffman Kiln that has a a um, significant history and um, well, it's a historic one of the places that uh, and it's been recently restored. So can you tell us a bit about that? So the Hoffman Kiln is a brick kiln. It's designed to make do continuous brick making, so that you you kept loading in a load of bricks, firing it, and taking out a load of bricks behind it. It has um, little uh, what they call wickets or gates. It's a sort of looks like a sort of oval slug with a whole lot of openings, <laughs> and so you'd be putting bricks into one opening, firing at the second opening, and taking the bricks out at the third. And so to go round all the openings would take about seven days. And it meant that um, you could keep the temperature up and keep the firing going for the massive amount of bricks that were um, being created to brickify <laughs> Palmerston North. Um, because all the old older homes and, and um, buildings, shops, etc., would have all been timber, wouldn't they? Up until about the 1900s, I call it a wooden town. Then they, of course, they had regular fires, and so the council's actually got a bylaw, which still exists, that the central city area has to be built in brick or non-flammable material. The outer limit of that is actually Featherston Street, <laughs> on one direction, and they brought that in in the 1900s. So every building that was built since was, up until about the 1930s, was built in brick. Um, then we had the Napier earthquake. <laughs> And people started rethinking the concept of brick, as we know with the um, Canterbury and the Christchurch earthquakes. Bricks tend to disconnect. Crumble. (laughs) And fall off (laughs) buildings. And so we post that you have a sort of move towards reinforced concrete. But there was a massive burst over the 1900s to 1930s in which every brick they created, they could have thrown happily into any house that was being built at that point. Um, so it was well in use and then gradually, of course, tapered off as people went to other building materials. So so the um, church churches and, and things would have been built with bricks made there? Most likely, Probably. most well, likely, you can't it was. Definitely, there say were it. a couple. There were maybe one or two other brick kilns, but by the time to get to in nineteen twenty six, they were the, they were the place making bricks for this town. Right. So, and then it tapered off, as I said, and by about nineteen sixty, I think it was probably fired for the last time. And then it was a, it was crumbling and whatever, sight. but it's recently been. Um, <clears throat> renovated or not renovated? What do you call it? Restored. Well, it's in the process. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not restored. Not finished it's in the yet. process of. Um, it's had a a a clear future now. Um, it's been on a property which was a large section which was subdividable, and so it's had various owners who've looked at it for its investment qualities and bowling the kiln. So it was the. Only it is still the only place that has a um, heritage order on it for its protection uh, in the city. It's a it's a strong legal measure to protect it. Uh, but the subdivision has now occurred, and that means that the property itself has now got 
clear legal lines and an ability to um, run it now as a reserve. So it became the reserve contribution by Higgins, the last owners of that whole site. It was um, their their voluntary contribution that they any subdivider has to make either in terms of money or in terms of space. So they made it in terms of space and gifted the um, Hoffman Kiln site to the city. Well, that, that's um, a great thing, I think, because, you know, sort of, well, I guess it's like um, city children that don't realise that, that milk comes from cows kind <laughs> of concept. So, you know, if you sort of, where, where did the bricks come from? Well, you know, this is how they, well, you won't be able to see them being made, of course, but. No, but who's to say what you might be able to do? Um, that's now under the care of something known as the Hoffman Kiln Trust. Right. Um, who have been running regular working bees there. I think it's the third Sunday of the month. Um, and, of course, the Pitt Park people who've been working even longer, um, which is the the big hole from which the clay doth come. All right. <laughs> <laughs> have, of course, been working a lot longer to turn that into a place of enjoyment. So there are big developments planned for this coming six months the they've been the Hoffman Kiln Trust has been granted a significant um, one hundred year sum of money from the Rotary in town, and they are looking to refurbish a building which will serve on the site for displays and informative uh, panels about how the how it works. How it works. Right. Then third down the way, but. Firstly, I think they're looking to provide some sort of easy public access to the top of the kiln um, so that people can see how the building, how the property functioned and you can see down into the heart of the kiln through the holes in the top Mm -hmm. um, because it was all fed with coal, trundled, coke, trundled up to the top and then fed down various coke holes through the holes. holes. There's a whole complex of... um, of flues both above and below the kiln. Um, what you see on the ground, there's actually um, a f- another flue that went about another four foot below the ground level um, and out to the chimney. Uh, oh, and okay. it is crawlable through. Um, I have done <laughs> Not it. Not that I would. <laughs> <laughs> I have done it. I probably wouldn't do it again. And I think I'm a little bit too fat to fit <laughs> through the through the vertical drop now. <laughs> but so, so it's... Um, a wonderful piece of engineering in the construction to make the various parts of it work. But yes, they're um, working to have that display area hopefully up available by mid-next year and hopefully even better by March. So 2022, you can look out and see if you can actually go and find out and and visit the Hoffman Kiln because at the moment, I guess... You could sort of trespass and go and have a look around it, but you're officially not supposed to. Is that correct? That would be true. We've had to put um, protective grills to prevent people from... Um, and I guess it would have been vandalised, etc. in the past as well. It also had the uh, also had wind get it. Oh. And we've had to <laughs> replace the top. Yes, because when I saw it at, um, years ago, I was lucky enough to go on, on a trip and have a look and we weren't allowed to go 
certain areas because that was too dangerous, but we did get to walk up on some of bits yeah. and pieces. But as I said, that was years ago. So that's the Hoffman Kiln, and we've talked about a couple of the houses. Goodness, we could talk forever. I couldn't be getting over these things. Um, Hukafitu School is also on the registry of um, historic buildings. So is, is that because it was the first school or because it's where it is, or you've no idea? Um, I know it was built in the 1910s. And it's got a particularly interesting um, architecture about it, hasn't it? So it's sort of, yeah. And Guy Homestead, I believe there was a large area of land that um, the Guy family lived on and, and that was subdivided, etc. And And that's where Guy Avenue came from? Yes, but I couldn't speak sorry to that as well. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry about that. that, that that's fine. I, 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 I do understand it's a two-storied place. It was up for sale maybe three or four years ago and my uh, workmate went to have a look at it. Um, so it was a townhouse with enough, maybe that acre section, enough to put that um, carriage house at the back and have some veggie gardens right. and and at least maybe a gardener, he went to have a look at it and he did comment that he could see the stars through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so it might need some renovation. So but, uh, it's the not current called... owners, you know, <laughs> all, all good, you know. <laughs> it's not called Guy Regards to them now, to, but that, for the that work they may have had to put in. Right. Um, and the Grand Hotel is also another example. Yes, always, always advertised itself as the... The most grand, the most luxurious hotel in town. So it replaced um, a wooden building called the Provincial Hotel, which went up on a puff of smoke as you do, <laughs> <laughs> about 1904, 1905. So they hired in an architect from Christchurch, a guy called Madison, who built quite a few big masonry, stately, stately buildings in Christchurch. Uh, to do the design, and it would have been, yes, the largest hotel at the time. There was a hotel practically on every corner in Palmerston North, so a man didn't have to stack a far for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I'm thinking of the Occidental on the corner of Fitzherbert, uh, the Clarendon on the corner of um, Rangitiki Street, um, for instance, and, and, and the commercial been... on the corner of Main Street East, so East there, West. <laughs> so would there have been some hotels that have now been converted into other things? Um, a lot of them have been built over. All oh, right. Yeah, and that, so the the Grand would be the only hotel building of that period of the 1900s that still exists on the square, and that's because it's a very solid masonry building oh, right. with a basement uh, and three storeys. Um, the the inside it was operated as a hotel until about the nineteen seventies, and it was considered luxurious enough that when the Queen came to stay with um, the Duke of Edinburgh in nineteen fifty four, in January nineteen fifty four, they spent the night at the Grand on the first floor there with the balcony, so you can you can look up can and see, see where they would have waved to the audience, right? <laughs> um, but by the 1970s, it was no longer sort of really doing um, a major hotel trade. And so it was being converted into um, into office space now. Oh, but right. 
the the best part about it's still there, and that's the the staircase. So if you do enjoy woodwork, step into the main foyer and just look up. And um, if you wish, even climb up to the first flight and sit in the little bay window that's on the first floor, and and look up. It's it's massively and beautifully carved. Oh wow! From the days when you could get solid lumps of timber. True, true. So we've run out of time. Goodness gracious me, we've been really great. So um, more information can be found from um, the book that um, was put out recently. Um, oh, something of the city. I've forgotten the name of it. But anyway, you find find that, or you can um, ask for Cindy at, at Tamanawa, and uh, she'll point you in the right direction as to where watch it. And the, that other heritage um, website was called? Uh, Manawatu Heritage. Great. Run by the Palmerston North City Library uh, as a photographic record of the city, but it does include um, photographic albums and now um, PDFs with various um, research papers and the like that you can also read. Oh, great. Well, thank you very, very much, Cindy. I've really enjoyed that. So, listeners, I hope you have too. So, thank you. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.